Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day, this is Better Than Yesterday, a podcast that is bringing you ideas to make it better each and every week since 2013, Mondays and Wednesdays. I'm here with a guest on Friday. It's just me. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Hi, I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a, I don't know, a a Sony streaming camera overheating fixer guy, which is what I did today. And I'm grateful you're here. On Wednesdays, we listened to an episode that was a much longer episode. It's just like a couple of bits that make you maybe want to go, oh, you know what? I missed that one. I'll go back and check it out. Tara Moss, she came on the show in episode 342 in 2020. And she's amazing. She's a best-selling author. She's a documentary host. She's a public speaker and a human rights activist. Tara's delightful. She's a disabled woman. She's an advocate for people with disabilities with chronic pain. We're going to talk about the inspiration for her novels, what it's like to receive death threats, and a really lovely moment between her husband and her daughter. So we're going to start with Tara's writing. Tara has written 14 best-selling fiction books, which are largely crime books. I wanted to know where does Tara get the inspiration from? Because I'm someone, look, I've never been in a fight. If I was going to write a book about a fight, I'd never been in a fight. I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> I, I have been in fights, Asha. I've, I've thrown people to the ground. I've thrown people down escalators and out of moving cars. It's not because I woke up that day and decided, hey, this is a great day to throw someone out of a moving vehicle. It's because I got attacked a lot in my youth. So I'm actually not a terrible person to have on your side if you do find you need to make another fist one day, Asha. Oh, Jesus Christ. But uh, it pays to go to experts when you're researching things. And like the last thing you want to do as an author is to watch a crime show, cop show or something and go, oh, this is how it works and just leave your research there. You need to dig a lot deeper. And for me, I've, yeah, I go all the way. I'm like a method writer. I've been choked unconscious and set on fire. And I've gone out in squad cars and seen autopsies and done loops over the opera house with the roulettes and gone out with SWAT teams and fired all manner of weapons, which I don't like, by the way. I don't like guns. I will never have a, a gun or a gun license, but I need to know how to use them because my characters do. 
I think that's part of being a writer. You have to be really familiar with the material because you can't pull the wool over a reader's eyes, in my view. It has to have that ring of authenticity and familiarity. If the character does this sort of stuff, if the character is a detective or an assassin or, or whoever they are, it, it needs to sound right when you're reading it. It needs to really ring true. And that's why I'll, I'll go literally all the way. Everything short of getting myself arrested, really. That's that's one thing that's very important. But you said you like to write about times in the past. The role of women in society in the past is almost incomprehensible. Gee, she's 16 now. She's an extraordinarily powerful young woman. But to try and explain to her that there was a time when if you, as a woman, got a job, you would only ever, if you're lucky, be in the typing pool. And then the moment you got engaged, they would literally throw you a tea party and say, great work, Tara. It's been great to know you. Bye. And that's it. That is your career over. Because your job now, that's all you are good for is to make babies and clean a house. (laughs) But that was truth. That was exactly what happened. It is, and it's within living memory. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of people forget, often conveniently forget, that women couldn't get their own loans at a bank. They couldn't get their own credit card. They couldn't buy a house without a man's signature. Couldn't go to uni. In Australia, they couldn't go to uni. Yeah, that's right. In Australia, that's right. And it's within living memory. So, like, (laughs) for many of us, our mothers went through this. Not even just our grandmothers. Our mothers went through this. And it's part of my reason for wanting to, it's not a reimagining of history, but I'm trying to take the genre and the stories that I love, this period that I love, the 1940s, and try to kind of imagine a woman in that time that I can relate to and how she would deal with those obstacles. You know, There's a, a real life detective by the name of Lillian Armfield, who was the first policewoman in New South Wales, able to uh, carry a firearm. She was the first female detective in New South Wales. She was a real trailblazer and pioneer. She wasn't allowed to marry. If she married, she'd be automatically thrown out. Women in that time as well, they couldn't get any superannuation. They weren't eligible for any recompense if they were injured in the line of duty. They weren't allowed to be part of the police club. I mean, in the literal sense, you had to be a guy to be part of that. So they lacked all the supports that are really essential in that kind of work, but they still lined up for it. There are always many more women applying than there were uh, spaces allotted to female police officers. And so this writing this period actually gives me the opportunity, the excuse to kind of drop in a Lillian Armfield character for a few lines to kind of express some of these real life situations that women found themselves having to deal with because the history is really fascinating and it speaks to the fact that people can overcome and that they can change circumstances. And it never just happens kind of naturally and automatically. It's always done through agitation, through advocacy, through hard work, and usually some pain as well. Like, you know, think of how many people lost jobs putting people offside by wanting change in these areas and so many others. So, yeah, I think writing about the 1940s and particularly putting a spin on it that reimagines hard-boiled reimagines noir to me is really exciting because it's a genre I love, but it's a genre that's also like notoriously, well, sexist, really. I mean, I mean that kind of kindly because I actually really like these books. But when you 
when you read a lot of hard-boiled, it's it's the stereotype of sexism that that we think on, you know, the the women who are fainting constantly and needing to be saved. And this is where a lot of the stereotypes come from. So it's a great opportunity as a writer to jump back into that genre and just change it, make it fresh, give it a fresh perspective and focus on some of those undertold or untold stories. Because there were women PIs. I should mention my central character is a PI and she reopens her late father's investigation agency and the book takes place in 1946. And there were female PIs at that time in Sydney, Australia. It's just that we haven't heard of them. We haven't seen stories about them. We've we all know Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade, but we just don't know about these women. And they're fascinating characters. And I think it just brings so much more suspense and interest to a story to tell it from a different perspective that hasn't been overdone. Tara Moss is an author who writes very powerful female characters who clearly speaks as she's a powerful woman. And we all know there are keyboard warriors who perhaps don't agree with those kind of powerful female characters. I wanted to know what Tara, what, what she did to deal with folks like that. Interesting time to be a woman on the internet. I mean, thank goodness you can be at all. And I'm very lucky in a lot of ways, but oh my God, is that ever true? It, it's interesting because when you write into fiction though, my experience is that you attract less attention because a lot of those trolls don't read. It's true. I'm just going to say it, it's true. If you write an article on an op-ed or do a, a human rights piece, they will read the headline and go, oh, this is an article about injustice, and they will just go you with their troll army, right? They don't even need to kind of look past the headline or the whatever the sub-editors put in there. But if you write an entire novel, it's very interesting to me that it's easier from the perspective of death threats. I've actually had fewer death threats this year than I have overall over the past kind of five years. 2020, now with 26% less death threats towards Tara Moss. It's a winning year. <laughs> it's like a, a noticeable change. And I'll certainly return to nonfiction. I wrote two nonfiction books, Speaking Out in the Fictional Woman, and did a lot of, you know, had a lot of those picked up and placed online a lot of those, those chapters or articles about those books. And oh my goodness, there was a lot of troll activity, a lot of death threats. But it's interesting to me that I can be writing now, it's 21 years of writing and 11 novels. It's very rarely the novels that get those kind of death threats, even though the thread is the same. As someone who writes about death and you can't really, I mean, come on, what's a crime book without a bit of death? Because that's the stakes. The stakes have got to be high. It's why I love... Have you watched the show Ozark? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, it's extraordinary. And I, and I, I won't give anything away by saying it involves a drug cartel. All okay. right? And what's extraordinary about Ozark, it's a beautiful piece of writing, Tara, because they've set this premise up where because these people are involved with this drug cartel, everything becomes a life and death decision. Okay, because mm. if they fuck up, the men will be around and it's Colombian neckties for everyone, right? So when the teenage daughter is having a fuck you, you're not my parents, I'm out of here, I'm uh, like, you know, and having the teenage daughter moment, they have to manage that shit because she will literally die if they don't 
sort it out. And so it's like taking the bins out. Everything in the show is life and death. It's very, very, very clever. Sorry. Anyway, I divert. Back to you. So when it comes to you, you write a bit about death. I do. Therefore, you are clearly considering the amount of research that you've done into who and what leads up to someone go, right, the only way out of this is I'm going to have to kill someone. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or the best idea right now, I think the best thing to do right now is to kill this person. Yep, that'll fix everything. What could possibly be behind a death threat over an article written on the <laughs> internet? Entitlement? I'm going to put that out there. Entitlement. I, I think that death threats, I mean, they're they're technically not legal. You're not allowed to threaten people with death. You're not allowed to do it in person. You're not allowed to do it in the mail and you're not allowed to do it electronically. But I think people only do that when they feel entitled to do so. And it's changing now. But in the earlier days of cyberspace, when this was happening, it was condoned in so much as there was no response to it. There was no legal response. And people kind of just went, ah, it's the wild west of the internet. You can do what you you like here. It's kind of for cowboys only. And I think, you know, it made the internet less democratic because it pushed people out. It's, It's just not possible to have, say, a family and have people sending you messages saying they're going to kill your child. Like, who stays in that? Who weighs it up and goes, sure, I'm going to keep blogging about this or, you know, I'm going to keep my Twitter feed going. Like it it does have a silencing and chilling effect. But I'd say entitlement is a huge element. And we see that dynamic in actual violence of the physical type, as well as threatened violence. Entitlement is a huge part of that. And going back to our previous conversation about World War II, entitlement. It's not a, a switch that suddenly flicked where someone is a a normal, equal human being, and then suddenly you think, oh, I have the right to kill them. It's usually a process that's happened where you think you are entitled to their life. They're in your way, and you're entitled to push them out of the way by getting rid of them. So, look, I think entitlement's a really big one. And then there are the classic things that any crime writer or cop will tell you. There's, you know, there's greed, there's jealousy, you know, desire for power, all that stuff plays in. Wanting the the will to be in your name, wanting the, you know, all that stuff. It happens, but I think entitlement for violence in general is usually the biggest factor involved, particularly when you're talking about death threats against people you've never met. Let me see if I can just understand you just a little clearer. So the reason that a stranger on the Mm. internet, usually, let's be honest, a jet ski, is going (laughs) to... It's a jet ski or it's a ute. Or a picture of Ned Kelly. I love it. Yes, yes. it's true, Tara. The egg. There's still the the odd egg out there. It's like, oh, the- is egg guy still upset? <laughs> Apparently, he's really upset. Egg guy's six, seven with heaps of numbers in their name because they're <laughs> too fucking cowardly to use themselves. Yeah. So the entitlement of I have this life. I'm going to assume it all, and I'm going to probably be right. I am a white man. I uh, may or may not be in a relationship. I have a job. I have a stable income and I can walk down the street without fear of violence of a stranger. How dare you threaten all of the things that are in place and are maintained by other men who look like me? How dare you threaten them? 
because now I don't feel safe. Because if I had to live my life without these things, without the fact that I can walk down the street at night or I'm probably not going to get pulled over because I'm white or i got a job, why don't you have a job? Now I feel threatened. So therefore I'm entitled that you, I feel you are threatening everything that I have and it keeps me safe. Therefore I'm entitled to defend this with everything I've got. And right now the biggest thing I've got is saying I should fucking kill you. That about right? That distills it nicely. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. But it's amazing to me how someone who most likely does not feel threatened walking down the street, as you pointed out, how someone like that can feel threatened by such small things like differences of opinion, desire for equality, how a push for equality can feel to a person like that as if something is being taken away from them. We're back in a moment with Tara Moss to chat a little bit more. If this podcast does bring you something, anything, if there's someone in your life you think should hear it, please share it. There's three dots in the corner of your podcast up. Sometimes it's an arrow. Sometimes it's a little paper plane. Sometimes it's a chain. Sometimes it looks like a hamburger. Three lines. Um, Share it with somebody. Just hit that and, and text it or whatever. Email it, please. We're back in a moment with Tara Moss. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th, streaming on Hulu. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Better Make It Quick, the Wednesday edition edition of Better Than Yesterday. Tara Moss is our guest today. She may write all about crime, but her life is filled with joyful moments. This moment particularly, which she chose to share with me during our conversation. Well, I had the most beautiful thing I was watching before we started our chat, which was my husband sitting down with our daughter who we're homeschooling at the moment and sewing an owl craft project with her and doing this sewing, which is something that men used to do in the mid-century. Everybody had to sew and mend their own stuff and now is viewed by many people as like a feminized only skill, you know, Guys are not supposed to sit down with a needle and thread. You fucking cuck. What are you, mate? Fuck. Yeah, needle and thread. I'm like, it's fabulous and practical. And oh my goodness, it just filled my heart. And now they're outside kicking a soccer ball around. And it's Aye. it's so much better for the world when we let all people be their whole selves. Yes. When we don't cut the girls off from soccer or the boys off from sewing. Like, yeah. just let everyone be fully who they're capable of being. Yeah. I was a tomboy when I was little, and I find that term really weird. I, I was called a tomboy all the time, and it meant that if I liked certain things, I was a type of boy, you know, a tomboy. It was like, 
No, I was just a girl who liked Hot Wheels cars and climbing trees and ripping the knees in my jeans and getting in amongst it. But yeah, I think the rigid gender roles are a problem and they're strongly tied with toxic masculinity and they're strongly tied with gender violence. And they're the type of thing I have really spent 21 years of my life writing to try to shift in some way through fiction or nonfiction, whether it's like in your face talking about it or whether it's sort of embedded in a story. I think there's really value in kind of continuing to challenge and question those rigid ideas and also just look at the way how bad it used to be and go like, things are possible. We can change things. See, look where we've come from. That is a reason for optimism. We have to only want it. Just two days ago, like this massive head of the travel industry said that Tracy Grimshaw needs a slap across the face and an uppercut. You know, yeah, because there's something like not cool. Come on, man, we're not helping, pal. No, and and it's really a positive thing in that is that it got called out because there was a time when it wouldn't have been. Yeah, and there was also a time when calling it out would have been dangerous for someone. Yeah. So people are calling it out and going, oh well, that's not where we're at with the world now. We don't find that kind of language acceptable. That is a type of change. We still have a terrible problem with violence, with with physical violence, but at least some of it is being called out. And I see that as another step down this road that we have to take. It's never going to be straightforward, but it is a road we all have to take together to change these issues. It's the extraordinary AFL coach from West Australia, Michelle Cowan. She has a great line about this. She was talking about like how do you call things out in the workplace, and particularly you know you know things like that, or in a group chat, or or something like that, because it can get really tricky as a man to another man. Going, hang on a second, mate. Help me understand why that's funny. Brilliant. Help me understand why you would think that I can't coach AFL, or help me understand why you think it's okay to say that. Help me understand why, as a way to diffuse or a way to call out something without going you're a misogynist just going, hang on a second, help me understand why it's okay for you to say, you know, you should slap Tracy Grimshaw across the face. And that makes them straight away go, oh, hang on a second. Yeah. But you see the way women have to adapt. Like what's fascinating about that is what she's doing is saying she doesn't understand something. She's saying she's lacking a certain piece of knowledge and she's asking for that knowledge from a man. It's brilliant and it works, but it's an adaptation. And it's, I remember there was this thing about vocal fry a few years back. You know, they talked about vocal fry and they talked about women lowering their voices and how their voices sounded strange because they were croaky from trying to get them so deep. And it was, again, another adaptation that if you have a high voice, you're not taken as seriously. So women were lowering their voices, but then that was also not okay. It seems like there's no winning point if you say, sorry. In order to make your point, then it's like, oh, well, you shouldn't apologize, but you might not be able to make your point otherwise. That's why these strategies are so fascinating. And I guess we can hope there'll be a time when they won't be necessary, when yeah. you can just speak plainly. And and yeah, those strategies are really necessary because human relations are complicated and those hierarchies are complicated. And yeah. even if they're not acknowledged hierarchies, they exist. Yeah. And people respond to them. So adaptations are incredibly they're an interesting part of human behavior and they're still needed. If you want to hear the full conversation with Tara Moss, which is actually quite good because we end up talking about her life and splitting it between Canada and Australia, 
the bushfires here in Australia and as well as the importance of putting the environment before production. It's pretty good. Episode 342 on the podcast feed, just scrolling back and you'll find it. Thanks to Andy Ma who did audio and video post on this podcast. Thanks to Abby Benno who produced this show today. And thank you for listening. Also Toe who did all the music. Love you, Toe Thanks, buddy. If you need me, send us your email at gmail.com. I'll see you Friday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.